0: Welcome, welcome, welcome. How's everybody doing? Hope you are doing well. My name is Andrew Kuhn with Focus Compounding, on air live with Jeff Gannon. Jeff, how's it going today? It's going very well, Andrew. How's it going with you? It's going great. We hope it's going great with everybody else as well. If this is the first time you're tuning in with us, thank you so much for joining us. Be sure to check out all of our content that we push out into the investing universe. Uh, Best way to do that is to follow me on X at at Compound. Uh, you can also get access to investment write-ups from Jeff going all the way back to 2005 by going to FocusCompound.com. Uh, all the information is in the description below, and everything is available for free. So in today's podcast, Jeff, we're going to talk about what's been going on in M&A land lately. We've been following the Spirit Airlines merger for quite some time now, and uh, you know, n- news came out, and... um. You know,
1: uh, the the
0: stock took a hit.
1: The judge well, blocked sh- it. Yeah, we should explain the day that we're recording this because I think it went up a lot from its low. Yeah, so today's um, January 19th. Okay. So you'll see a stock um, symbol there and stuff that shows up a lot, but obviously it dropped a lot before then, and that was because people were hoping, although there was a huge spread on it, that the deal would close, and yeah. it will not now. Yeah. And there were reports that they were considering things like liquidation and stuff of the company. Do you so, think yeah. uh just staying
0: away from airlines forever just is just a just a good like tenant to have in your investing thing? Just don't even go near it, you know. Just the amount well, of capital that has been lost by investors in airlines, it's gotta be a lot, you know.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um there's a reason why some of these things were looking to merge. And so some of them are weaker, and that's why. I also don't know if some of the announcements um, and rumors and whatever had other purposes. Um, I think that they probably may have, you know, like in the case of both companies, JetBlue and Spirit. Um, And then later news was different. So uh, some of it may have been intended to show the government and stuff that this is what happens if you do this, Um, you know. You block the deal, and then the airline's going to go out of business. You block the deal, and then we're going to cut a lot of routes and stuff. Um, and that's why we needed to merge. So it's possible. I mean, certainly they would have waited till after the case for that stuff to leak out or to say it. So what's going to
0: happen then? I mean, do you think Spirit will actually go into, severe, you know, have severe financial difficulty, and then JetBlue is going to pick them up in chapter whatever i mean how what's gonna happen here i mean i don't know like i thought about that like the uh irony of you know blocking it killing spirits business and gonna cancel routes lay off people cause financial difficulties uh and then what right is is uh,
1: is jet gonna just buy them then i mean what do you think well the government has a history of doing this lately uh, there was a blocking of a merger between two office supply stores. There was blocking of a merger between two satellite TV operators. There's blocking of a, um, uh, uh, you know, and, uh, those obviously don't look as good, uh, because there was tons of competition and they would have been better off if they'd let those things merge. Mm-hmm. Um, but they have the rules that they have and they basically apply those without a lot. Of, I mean, when it actually goes to a court case and stuff uh, without a lot of thinking on the long term consequences and stuff, um, you know, so it's just how they choose to measure things like market share stuff and especially things like um, like I think they put a lot of effort into the overlapping r- routes. And if the price would increase, um, I don't know if that's the most important thing in the world to the country and stuff, but I think that's what the you know, case cares a lot about and stuff. Um, and maybe doesn't care as much about other aspects of service besides price or other things like over the entire network and stuff, what it would mean. Um, so it wouldn't be, you know, it wouldn't be the first time. Um, you know, and, and also, I mean, so there are ones that have, well, a lot of these have happened eventually. So satellite TV was one that I mentioned, blocked, but then, you know, happened eventually. And then... um You also had uh, a um, wireless carrier merger of like the fourth place one, so that was you know something that some people oppose and stuff, but was allowed to happen. And that's another one where at some point they go out of business if if you didn't let them merge. Um, My we talked about this when we talked about like the way that the airline industry is now versus in the past. My honest feeling is that. It's very hard to have a low-cost airline now. It's much harder to compete with the legacy ones, especially if we count Southwest as like a major airline, even though they're not originally a legacy one. They're a lot like the legacy carriers now. And they have so much in their advantages um, versus you that I don't know if it would be as easy to create a JetBlue or a Spirit or a Southwest today, or if they would be that successful, or even if the ones that, exist JetBlue is not really a low cost carrier exactly but the ones that exist um, will have a good future so um, but we'll see I I mean I, I JetBlue I don't think for instance you know I, I'm not an expert on airline stuff but I have read all whatever's been published on Southwest I've read the books that are published on um, JetBlue listened to things by the founder of that company and stuff um, I think Southwest had a much better business model. Uh, I don't think JetBlue's business model was ever that amazing. I think they just had, like, the most amazing operator for for systems and uh, processes. You know, like they had the... We talk about, you know, Henry Singleton or we talk about Cap Cities or whatever. They, they had that, and that's what made JetBlue, I think, not the idea that they had because it wasn't a particularly brilliant idea, and I don't think it's a great idea for the long-term future as compared to Southwest. Um Spirit, I don't, I, I don't know. It's it's not a time that was as good as when Southwest was getting started. I don't know if their ideas make as much sense, um, either. So what
0: about Hawaiian holdings? So there's a merger yeah. expected to close in 12 to 18 months for a closing value of 1.19 billion upon completion of the merger. Shareholders will receive $18 per share in cash. Yeah. And that's with Alaska air group, Alaskan, uh, airlines, um, and hawaiian holdings currently is trading at thirteen dollars and ninety-one cents, so that's a you know pretty decent merger arbitrage spread yeah uh you got uh it's an annualized return that's being calculated by inside arbitrage of about 20 percent
1: um it is however at a big premium over where it was trading before because hawaiian was the cheapest by far the cheapest airline in the united states or at least of airlines that i know of i mean you know there's what's the Officially, Wisconsin Air and yeah, Harbor yeah. Diversified. Harbor yeah. Diversified. You know, I don't know about those things oh, that, that are like a one, in. um, a one sort of one. Um, I mean, that's a it, well. Papai was in stocks it was like that before at one time too, right? I think he was. Um, so you know, the Wisconsin Air one—it's called Harbor Diversified, right? Yeah. So it just Yeah. So it just has an agreement in place to basically supply passengers for a major airline it switch, which airline it is, but they feed the passengers in for them. And that's how they make their money. They're not exposed in the same way as other people to the real dynamics of the industry. Um, so it's just basically a way for a major airline to secure passengers, let's say in Chicago from, uh, Wisconsin and they switched who it is. Um, but it just switched from one of the big four to another one of the big four. Um, so, and so I mean, that one's interesting because, like, I saw people doing like liquidation analysis of it and stuff, and I looked at it. Um, and like I said, I'm not an expert in airline things, so I, I might come to a different conclusion that's very wrong. But my interpretation is that the planes are worth less than nothing, um, they're very inefficient, they weren't meant, originally meant to be commercial. Um, Passenger service, they were, they were the hope when that plane was created was that it was going to be used for business, um, private, and then it was changed over to be used for um, commercial airline stuff. I think they stopped making them 25 years ago. And I think they're expensive and inefficient and stuff to operate. They have gates, and they have a scale in that they're going to sign one agreement, they're not going to split who they're signed with. So if Delta loses them to United United, you know, whatever um, they're going to, they can bring everything over to one or the other. It's like having a, to me, it's more like that they own a a tower and they're saying, you know, we've got room for, you know, in in that case, you might say we've got room for, you know, a, uh, a Verizon or an AT&T or whatever, but if someone doesn't take it, then there's no room for, you know, you the third one or whatever. And so that's to me more what that business looks like. Um, and i wouldn't look at it on the basis of like liquidating and stuff. So anyway, the the point with Hawaiian is um it was in really bad shape. Uh, and if the deal falls through for any reason, you'll lose a lot of money because it presumably fall at least to the per, to the price it was at before, which was very cheap. But in the Hawaiian course. yeah, but it had been a lot higher before and this was a company that earned a lot of money in the past. But it was in a fair war with um, that it could never hope to win if the other companies stayed in it, with Southwest. So Southwest decided it was going to enter the Hawaiian market. And for instance, I uh, use Love Airport, you know, and so they have they have had a billboard there, you know, of how cheap it is to fly to Hawaii and stuff. And so they decided to make that their um, entry into it, and. Um, in their history and stuff, Southwest has certainly tried to go into some places and then backed off when it didn't work. Um, but they have also have a history, certainly early in their company's history of really hitting a place hard and taking a lot of the market share fast. Um, so, and Southwest has tremendous financial strength. Hawaiian doesn't Southwest has tremendous diversification. Um, Hawaiian doesn't. So if their goal was really to like put them out of business, then certainly they could accomplish that. Um, they say that it's also that uh, passenger traffic from Japan hasn't improved. And that's an important part of their business, obviously. Um, since COVID, Japan hasn't bounced back the same way that other things have. And Japan's huge for the, the tourism in Hawaii. Um, but, but the thing with Hawaiian that was always interesting to me is you would just wake up one day and it would be over. You just the the stock would go flying up because they'd real someone would see that Southwest was the fares were no longer putting up cheap fares and stuff and they were giving up, um. So anyway, uh, but there's there's like no chance that that deal wouldn't happen if the things that we're talking about in terms of how the government looks at this because the overlaps like nothing, it just wouldn't bother them, um. So, presumably. I don't know what uh, would happen, how expensive it is to terminate the deal for, you know, without a reason like an antitrust um, reason. Um, So the probability of the deal not going through is very small, presumably. Certainly it won't be blocked for antitrust. People don't expect that. But um, the decline in the stock might be very large if it was not to go through. Which is
0: a merger ARB situation you wouldn't be interested in. You have said the ones yeah, that I don't, you would be interested right. in are where you would be okay buying it, even if it didn't go through.
1: Not like Albertsons. Yeah. Yeah. Albertsons I like a lot better, like as that kind of thing. Now, if you do all these, a lot of times they don't fall through and you, it works. And that's the mm-hmm. actual game of it with the arbitrage. It's not really that important about the underlying stock. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of these sprites are pretty wide
0: that we're talking mm-hmm. about uh you have spirit, very wide spirit yeah. obviously i mean how much like what are the odds that frontier comes and starts poking their head around to do something with spirit or whatever or mm-hmm. is that just completely dead right now because it was blocked by jetblue
1: or by uh well you know that's why they antitrust. they said not to go with jetblue i mean they said the companies management stuff said you need to go you need to not take the higher offer of JetBlue because it will you will not get uh approved the deal will fall through the other deal is more certain take less money for the sure thing yeah and they were right uh-huh. uh, now we don't know that the deal would have been approved the other way but they were right um but you know the interesting thing is who actually was in it before that deal and who's still in it You know, that's the thing. These, these airlines don't have long-term shareholders. So it is funny, like in a sense, so you could say, oh, well, the shareholders should have taken the other deal, but who, who, I mean, the the spirit thing's been going on for what? um, We're talking about. Yeah. So what, you know, Who people rent the stocks, right? They don't, they don't stay in them that way. And I don't think that a lot of people would have been in it to vote on the deal and stayed with it to now what happened is these are uh just arbitrage um that are in it It, it, that's it and so it is funny so like their decision to go ahead with that now they never got full value for their stock if they sold out though because the spread was big but at times the spread was a lot smaller um so some people might have sold out and gotten pretty good but obviously no one ever got the price that was promised um but their decision to do that really hurt people who are in the arbitrage things more than it necessarily hurt themselves. Although, like I said, maybe they would have gotten a, f- a tight spread in the other case. What's this, M I X T? Is that Mixed Telematics? Powerfleet, mm-hmm. Inc.?
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, looks like the spread on that uh, it's also pretty big. It's a stock that, deal, though. Is, oh, it's a so stock, stock deal, yeah. Expected yeah, to close in deal. the first quarter of 2024
1: for a closing value of $140 million in an all-stock deal. Right. I, yeah. I don't want to sound too negative here, but there's a few reasons why these spreads on things are wide. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. it's because there's a chance the deal will fall through and stuff. Sure, but yeah. But on partic- particularly very stale deals, what was happening in the case of Spirit, for instance, is you notice the stock would sometimes go down when the, the airline business was going down and things, not just when there was fear about the antitrust, because they start to be concerned of what happens, how far can the stock drop? Yeah. The floor that you were promised, if you're thinking that it's only going to drop to what the stock was at before the deal, which is a reasonable thing to expect with good businesses, right? Like it's in play and everything, so why would it be lower than that? But if the business has deteriorated a lot, then the price might be lower. So you saw that with the bank deal that fell apart, it was a huge decline, but that's because there had been a banking crisis basically in the middle of the the um, the deal being out there, you know? And so same thing with the airlines. If those deals fall apart, it could be a lot worse. Um, so I don't know if the, if that's a factor with mixed telematics. But it's obviously a super cyclical business, or I, I would say it is. The Albertson and Kroger deal, analyzed return
0: 121%. It's a pretty widespread as well. This yeah. is a I, company but... you'd
1: feel comfortable owning if it doesn't go through. Yeah. Yeah, and it's not for any math reasons. Here's my feeling on it. Um, I think... It, I mean, Buffett didn't stick in with Activision to the end. But, you know, he said Microsoft's got the cash. The companies want to do this. He knows, like, the people involved and stuff. And and Activision would basically have been in play because, remember, there was the sexual harassment things and, and um, it was a company that hadn't had different leaders for 30 years or something. So realistically, although they don't say this, they probably were thinking about selling the company and resolving that issue anyway, like, you know, once it was that was happening. So... It's, it, it was, um, Activision was not a cheap stock when the offer was made, and the offer was not cheap, but all the other factors involved were good. Kroger really wants to do the deal, um, and will make that doesn't mean that it'll get approval to do it, but they're willing to do all sorts of things, compromise on all sorts of stuff, sell off more stores. And they said, do this, do that. You know, they're willing to do anything to get the deal done. Um, Sort of like Microsoft really wanted the Activision deal done. Um, and Albertsons, I think their, their shareholders, like the key people there, I think are very likely to pursue other deals to sell the company or do something with it if this one falls apart. So I think you have a, a buyer that's very eager to buy, a seller that's very eager to sell... And then I think if we look at the quick FS stuff, I think you have a pretty nice underlying business and price and stuff that you were getting. Unlike some other ones, I don't think this is a crazy price. Now the airline deals, I don't think were crazy prices for those airlines, but, um, you know, take Activision, take iRobot, those things, those are high multiples and everything for the stocks that those companies are offering. So when you tell them you have to now make c- compromises or you have to do whatever, then they're a lot more likely to say, oh, well, you know, it's not that great a deal anyway, so, you know, we're not going to do that. But if it's the deal of a lifetime, um, then you're more likely to compromise and everything. So, I mean, I like things where I think if the deal falls apart, you're still in pretty good shape with it. So, I mean, I think what you're – I think Alberts is in, is in play, and I think that it's pretty – I mean, but what are the price things on it right now that you've got? So, so the deal is a little complicated, right? But what's the price that's promised on it? Yeah, spread uh, the, you know the chart there. Yeah. If so you go to the inside arbitrage. We can just use what they calculated as. Okay. So they have the
0: the closing price uh twenty seven dollars and twenty five cents. Okay. Estimate closing three
1: thirty one two thousand twenty four. Okay. Well that's not important because they keep bumping that and everything. Yeah. But let's use the so um we had so what's the current stock price at? Uh twenty one dollars ninety nine cents. Okay. So what we can do is we can apply that kind of thing to the um price things that you see there to get an idea of what the multiples are on the actual deal. Um so the actual deal price that you have is only about 25% higher than that. Now, it's not as good for Kroger because there's things in that that Kroger has to give up um if they were hoping to actually close this deal, but that's not so important to us as to say, well, how big a price is this anyway? Could someone else match it, whatever. So, What do we have for like EBITDA, price-to-earnings, price-to-book? EBITDA, uh,
0: 4.5, price-to-earnings, 9.3, price-to-book, 5.0.
1: But price-to-sales, 0.2. Okay. So price-to-sales is not super cheap. Um, Its margins have gotten way better, right, in the last few years. Uh yeah, correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so earnings are huge since like COVID happened basically. It's very expensive versus pre-COVID, right? What was pre-COVID yeah. earnings? What was operating profit? Let's just say that. Operating profit was uh I'll read on uh from
0: 2017 onwards. 608 million, 152 million, 622 million, but it's gone up. So 2020 952 million, 2021 1.6 billion, 2022 uh, 2.5 and then
1: 2023, 2.2 billion. 2 yeah. So, um, you have no protection back to pre COVID things. Cause the business was the, the company itself has also been improving its operations and everything at the same time that you then had the COVID bump. Um, cause basically it's an LBO. Um, you know, so that's why you're seeing weird things with price to book and all that. Um, yeah. Um, it's, there are perhaps cheaper Supermarkets out there And there are perhaps Some better uh, You know Better by the numbers in terms of quality But nothing of the scale You know um, Yeah we talked about Village or Angles Market or any of those that, uh, Village is quite cheap um, But Can't really be bought. I mean, family controlled, and you can't just buy it to become a member of the co-op and everything. So, um, like Kroger's not in New Jersey, and Village is all in New Jersey. And Village has been going in the wrong direction. They've been buying stores, and they're going the opposite direction of um, Albertsons generally. Like, right, their margins have actually come down until real recently. The underlying efficiency of the business was getting worse. Now, COVID bumped it up. I think in the most recent year, right this this past fiscal year, and guidance I think are. They don't exactly guide, but this past fiscal year and likely the upcoming one will be good in terms of metrics. Um, but yeah, I, I like it if if um you're buying in at a price that's five times EBITDA or something for something that's in play and that it has is financially solid and stuff. Yeah, I like that a lot better. Um, you know the problems with the airlines is like the Hawaiian one it has a really high chance of closing, but if it doesn't close, you know, um, the the floor could be low. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, there's a lot of risk there to wake up one morning and
0: have a Spirit Airlines situation where the stock is just crashing, right?
1: Right. And Spirit, you had a pretty big spread and everything. Um, so, it's not just the probability of whether it will close or not. It's also like how much you'd be willing to, how much does it hurt to keep holding it? Do you like the stock anyway? Yeah. Like what would you do in spirit right G7? now?
0: Like, what do you do now? I mean, now there's concerns about their, I mean, even solvency or how they're going to do there's, it's now becoming this huge operational issue. What would you do if you were a shareholder? I mean, if you bought well, it on the premise of merger ARB, you should probably just sell.
1: Right. But if you're well, using I your don't framework, think they... mm-hmm. go ahead. I, 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 I don't think the information we're getting on spirit is reliable. Right? Because if you think about it, the shareholder base is all ARBs who are selling out and stuff. There'd be people interested in shorting it because of these event things that are going on with it. The company themselves is not reliable in what they're doing because they're saying we still want this deal to go through. We're fighting with the government. So their stuff is for show to show the government what's happening. So I think that it's much less reliable, the information that we have, and to understand what those signals actually mean. Um, So I wouldn't be surprised if you get unreliable rumors and reports and things because everyone is probably trying to push things about the story so that the case can work out a certain way and so that the stock um, can too, right? Whereas um, if that wasn't the case, then it might not matter as much. Um, uh, So I would be cautious about that. Um, The downside is zero. So, I mean... That's, But, you know, it, yeah. I mean, yesterday or whatever, I got to say it was at a price that, I mean, it would depend on, I'm sure people could buy options and different things and do whatever stuff to do things to protect, protect themselves other ways. But um, there is a point at which, it, you know, you know how far it can drop. And there's a ton of scenarios in which it could go up by as much as it could drop. If this was a $5 stock, there's scenarios where it could be worth $10. So if it's 50-50, you know. It's not as crazy as you might think. Um, you know, when people are very sure that the deal is not going to happen, whatever, sometimes there's a big spread. But also, what can happen is sometimes when people feel very sure that they don't see any way that things could get better for the company, you get a stock that goes too close to zero. And you have to remember that there couldn't still be strategic value to these things. Um, so, and there are companies in the industry that have the financial wherewithal. Like, so we were talking about movie things. The only answer for AMC would be bankruptcy because you know that even if it was totally allowed, which it would not be, if Cinemark wanted to do a transformative deal to merge with them, Cinemark would be afraid of having those debts on its balance sheet. There's leases and things that these companies use anyway and stuff. So without going through some process to restructure that stuff, they're not going to just do a merger with someone because there's no one in the industry that's 10 times bigger and has this amazing balance sheet and stuff but the reason why Southwest probably doesn't mind fighting with Hawaii in the way that they were is because they're very secure in their financial position and they're way bigger and everything. Um, so there are bigger airlines and stuff that could do something with spirit. So it's not impossible. I you know, I don't know how great the strategic value is and stuff. Even the jet blue stuff, they were intending to change a lot about it. Um, about the way that it operates and everything. So, um,
0: so out of all of the ones we spoke about today, Albertsons is the M&A situation you'd be most interested in.
1: Yes, but it, there's a lot of opposition to it. It's very possible that it will never close. Um, but I still like it. Yeah, the stock. Um, I mean, because... You kind of have to do the math, but there's some chance that it will close. And what did we say that you your gain is there what 25% or 2020? Does it have the annualized expectations? Okay. Yes,
0: 20 uh 24% annualized return though, uh cuz it's a few months
1: 121%. Yeah. yeah. So the question is what's the floor on that? I mean, how cheap do you think it will get? You're starting to price in things with the EBD, EBITDA and everything that are like the market's not the market's saying well their their earnings will decline. when you're saying the deal will not happen, there's some percentage of that or whatever. Think of it as like a gated thing that has to pass each of these logical arguments. Obviously, the stock's good if the deal happens. So first, you have to say, okay, the deal has to not happen for this stock to be worth less than this. Then two, their earnings have to go down from what they are now because, you know, obviously it's not going to stay trading forever at that low a multiple. And I really feel that three, unless the earnings completely collapse, um, you're also expecting it to have an unusually low multiple, right? Like it could have the multiple it has now, and earnings could drop a lot, but you're saying that the, the earnings dropping a lot won't cause the multiple to go up. But actually, a, a multiple going up 50% from here wouldn't be crazy on, on low earnings. So you can be wrong, the deal could go through, Earnings could drop a lot in the stock, not drop that much because the multiple could easily go up by 50% and the stock not be absurdly expensive. And, um, there's always a chance that earnings won't decline as much as people think, you know, from earlier podcasts, I think that people are over that. There's a perception that supermarket earnings were temporary and will come down. And I don't think that that's correct. Um, it's a different kind of industry from other things. There's not a lot of capacity added or taken out. so if you have a one-time inflation of 20 or 30 percent, their earnings are just going to be 20 or 30 percent higher in the future because um, it's going to cost 20 30 percent more to build a completely new supermarket and no one's going to do it you know so it, you know it, it was like when we talked about the one that was the one where we talked about. US Steel. And I said, you know, like, U.S. Steel, that industry is not good. It's very unpredictable compared to supermarkets. But it has a similar aspect that you have to ask people in the industry, well, how, how many plants are there out there? What do they cost? Um, what would it cost to build a new one? Um, at some point, you can't really value the business at all that much lower than what it, the cheapest way that someone could expand. Because someone in the industry is going to want to expand. So what's the cheapest way they can acquire or build or whatever? And, uh, you know, so like, look at things like capacity and stuff. Um, so I think that the, the supermarket one to me is just, it's not, it's not like airlines. Um, it's, I don't see how you could change the supply demand situation all that dramatically. Um, and I think that they're just likely to be better businesses than people might think, um, based on that uh on COVID happening that i don't think that you should expect that they will go back to earning the same returns on book value and stuff because that book value is historical stuff they didn't write up the I, I totally agree that it would be that way if they wrote up the value of their um, assets and everything to reflect accurate market values today or to reflect inflation however you want to put it but they don't adjust their balance sheet to reflect what the market value of things are now so when you're seeing that it looks like they had surging revenue and stuff, that's not because they sold 20 to 30% more. You know, what were the increases in COVID to now in terms of revenue at this company? I mean, in 2019,
0: 60.5 billion in revenue, Uh, 2023, 77.6 billion. It wasn't. What do we just
1: have like year over year revenue growth for
0: 2020, 2021, 2022? 3.2%, 11.6%, 3.2%, 8%.
1: So that's huge. Uh I mean, a year where you have 11% or 8%, that that happens in the 1970s, it happens in the 2020s, but otherwise it doesn't. There's no growth in this industry at all. I mean, people spend less and less of their disposable income over time, so it doesn't even match GDP growth. We're talking about closer to population growth normally. So population growth plus inflation, that's all inflation stuff that you're seeing. Um, And so all I'm saying is, In those years where they went up 11% stuff They didn't write up their assets by like 11% Or anything So what you're seeing is just they Selling similar amounts of product At higher prices causes that to happen Um You know And if you look at Village or something Like if they could have margins like they had 10 years ago Or something It would be an incredibly cheap stock It's just because the margins came down so much But obviously the sales level is much higher per store In nominal dollars and everything now Than it was back then Um yeah. So I, I just I think that it's not, you, you either have to use these more recent earnings or you have to actually go to people who know it in the industry and stuff and say, okay, Kroger wants to open a new store. What would it cost to build it? Or Kroger wants to have more stores. Who else can they acquire to get them? Right. Because you know that Kroger's not going to say, we never want to get bigger. We know how companies work and everything. They're going to want to get bigger. So they're either going to, you know, if you're an oil company, they could either drill for oil or you could buy someone else out and stuff like we're seeing. But you're probably not going to stop and shrink it and everything. So I don't know how far something like Albertsons actually is from just the cheapest way that you can expand in the United States. Um, I don't think it's all that far from it. Got
0: it. Cool. Well, I want to thank everybody so much for tuning in with Debo the Bus on the Focus Compounding Podcast. This is the first time you're joining us. Be sure to hit the subscribe button wherever you are listening or watching us here today. If you're interested in learning about our money management services, you can reach out to me at Focuscompiling.com or go to our website, focuscompiling.com, and click that invest with us tab uh, to get more information on that. Of course, everything, all the information is down in the description below. I thank everybody so much for all the support and we will see you in the next podcast. Take care.